You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander's up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Welcome to Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Why let sleeping dogs lie when you can take the bull by the horns and let the fur fly? So get your claws out and get ready to rattle some cages on Pet Peeves with your host, pet expert, and award-winning author, Amy Shojai. Hey there, and welcome to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Amy Shujai, and today we're covering part two of Sex and the Single Pet. That brings me to my rant of the week. Last week's show featured Isla Miller, the Vice President of Veterinary Outreach at the ASPCA, and we agreed, as most listeners do, that sterilization can be an enormously effective tool in the effort to stem the furry tide of pet overpopulation. But now, a growing number of cities across the country have decided to solve this litter-airy problem by enacting ordinances that legally force pet owners to sterilize their pets. But can you legislate responsibility? Will such laws put responsible dog and cat breeders out of business? And most importantly of all, do these breeding laws actually work? Today, I'm talking with two experts on the subject. First, we'll speak with Lisa Peterson, who is the Director of Club Communications for the American Kennel Club. And then later in the hour, we'll talk with Joan Miller, who serves on the Board of Directors of the Cat Fanciers Association. Both Lisa and Joan work with legislative issues related to purebred dogs and pedigree cats. And we'll speak with Lisa first, right after these messages from our sponsor. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Flight 291 is now boarding. All passengers, please proceed to gate 4. And who is this traveling with us today? This is Bailey. She's never flown Midwest Airlines before. Hi, Bailey. She'll be fine. We take special care of our traveling pets. In fact, our premier pet program was created by an employee and dog lover who believes that pets should be handled as precious cargo. And they are. Oh, and they earn travel rewards, too. Oh, good. Thanks for flying Midwest Airlines, Bailey. Enjoy your flight. Visit MidwestAirlines.com. Pets are part of the family, and when traveling with your dog, there's only one magazine to include when packing your doggy's duffel bag, and that's Fido Friendly, the travel and lifestyle magazine for you and your dog. Each bi-monthly issue includes hotel, city and state reviews, and doggy destinations to explore with your furry companion. Fido Friendly magazine can be found at Borders, Barnes & Noble, PetSmart, Pet Boutiques, and Fido Friendly hotels nationwide. Or you can go online to subscribe at www.fidofriendly.com. So get traveling with your pet today and leave no dog behind. And remember, Fido Friendly's the only magazine dedicated to the travel lifestyle of man's best friend and the one magazine your dog will thank you for. Welcome to Personals.com. As a fellow cat owner, I know how finicky we are. 
from our friendships to our loves to just about everything, not any old website is going to satisfy us. Here at Personals.com, cat lovers from all walks of life can celebrate the photos, the stories, and videos of their beloved family member. And if you're single, here's your chance to meet someone who's perfect for you. Share your personality today for free. See you soon. Personals.com. That's P-U-R-R-S-O-N-A-L-S dot com. Finally, a place to meet that special person. Want to know what cats like to eat for breakfast? Mice Krispies, of course. Learn everything there is to know about cats on Catitude with your host, Tom Dock. Each week, we'll spotlight a cool cat breed, give up-to-date advice on cat health, and check out spiffy new cat products. So curl up on the couch every week for a perfectly enjoyable time on Catitude. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. Welcome back to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. I'm talking with Lisa Peterson from the AKC, who has personally been involved in the sport of purebred dogs for more than 20 years as an owner, a breeder, a handler in confirmation and obedience. Lisa has also enjoyed a 20-year career as a newspaper reporter and freelance writer. Ah, same thing that I'm doing. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you, Amy, for having me. I'm delighted to have you here, and before we get into the the details, I'd like listeners to learn a little bit about you personally. What what pets do you share your home with? Uh, Currently, I uh, have three Norwegian elk hounds. Uh, They are from uh, the hound group, and uh, basically what their job is is they hunt moose in Norway. They're tracking dogs, and they help the farmers there uh, track down moose. So how many moose have they caught? Uh, uh, mine have caught no moose. <laughs> I was going to say, in Texas, we don't have very many moose. Uh, right. but, uh, I, I recall when I, I used to live in eastern Kentucky, and the, the folks there had elk hound, and they'd use them as uh, squirrel dogs. Yeah, actually, the uh, Norwegian elk hound can uh, use their sight as well to track down game, and my dogs do bark at every single squirrel that they see. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's get a little serious here now. I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit as well as we go along. Um, So what's the big deal? I mean, overpopulation of pets kills pets, and don't all dog lovers want to put a stop to that? So what's the big deal with this? uh, You know, wouldn't mandatory spay-neuter be a good thing? Well, you know, we do advocate for spaying and neutering. It is absolutely the benchmark of responsible dog ownership for those people who decide not to breed or to show their dogs. Um, However, the American Kennel Club believes that this decision shouldn't be mandated by the government, but that uh, every owner should have the opportunity uh, in consultation with their veterinarian to make the decision whether to spay or neuter or not. Um, As far as mandatory spay-neuter laws, uh, you know, we believe that these are ineffective solutions to animal control problems, and they're also extremely difficult to enforce. 
Well, that was my next question. I mean, uh, in, on the surface, it seems to make sense. Okay, we've got l- too many dogs. We've got too many cats. Let's make them stop reproducing. The best way to do that is let's force everybody to get spayed and, and neuter their pets. But is it cost effective? I mean, can people out there really afford to do this? How do you enforce it? And is it cost effective to try to enforce it? You got to pay people to go out there and knock on doors and, and, you know, interview the dog or the cat. Hey, have you had a litter this year? Right. You know, with the enforcement issue, um, you know, they are difficult to enforce. I mean, what's happening with that is it would divert animal control from what their main mission is, which is, you know, responding to loose dogs, protecting the public from dangerous dogs, enforcing animal cruelty laws, and, you know, dealing with problem owners or irresponsible owners, those who don't adhere to the nuisance laws or leash laws, um, or even the licensing requirements. And, you know, this is the main mission for animal control. And having a mandatory spay-neuter put into effect would uh, you know, also take them off the streets away from their job in order to create a mechanism to implement uh, this, which in the case of California last year was an unfunded state mandate. Ah, so basically they don't have any extra funds to do that. It's, it's just spreading people even thinner to do the job they're already doing. Correct. And, you know, they say that, you know, the breeder license, you know, mechanism could be put in place to, uh, you know, fund this. But it's also in the language, at least last year, uh, you know, it didn't give any sort of uh, parameters as to how much, um, you know, responsible breeders would be, um, you know, charged to do this. I mean, in California right now, they already... Um, they already have something in place, uh, you know, an intact animal license, at least twice the fee that owners of sterilized pets pay. So, you know, you're already um, sort of rewarding responsible dog owners who do spay and neuter their animals by having early dogs, by having um, a lower licensing fee. And then you could take the money from this and use it to maybe divert it into other public education programs or maybe low-cost spay and neuter clinics for those um, pet owners who... Uh, you know, want to spay and neuter, but they may not have the resources to do it at the moment. Well, and, and in fact, if the folks that are out there that are not responsible, they are already breaking laws. They are, they are already not, you know, doing what's right by their animals. They're not doing leashing or, or keeping their animals confined, that type of thing. So how effective really is adding another law uh, to these folks who are not paying attention anyway? How effective is that going to be? Exactly. Absolutely. It's it's like, you know, if you adhere to the local leash law and if you have an intact animal, then the dog is not going to be roaming the streets and maybe creating an unwanted litter. So enforcement of the leash law, um, you know, or by an owner who's being responsible or animal control by enforcing it and making maybe the penalties greater for those irresponsible dog owners who are breaking the existing laws will help to curb this problem. Well, about these, uh, the mandatory spay-neuter ordinances, how, how do those directly impact the breeders of purebred dogs? I mean, I, I know they were trying to have some built-in exceptions for, for the dogs that were being shown, the responsible breeders, those types of things. But, I mean, if, when they're mandating you must spay or neuter by X age, sometimes you don't know if that's going to be a show-quality animal until they're a little bit older. That's correct. I mean, you know, responsible breeders, first off, they do take great care to find wonderful homes for their puppies, and they do take them back for the life of the dog. So as far as shelter overpopulation is concerned, responsible breeders are really part of the solution. Uh, You know, myself as a 20-plus year breeder, um, you know, I've taken puppies back if they didn't work out with someone, and I've found other homes for them. Um, So, you know, as far as... um, 
you know, why would it, uh, you know, what it has an effect on the responsible breeder, to your point about the age requirement. I mean, it's, it's undecided in the veterinary community, you know, what's the best age to spay and neuter a young puppy. And from a, a show perspective, um, you know, many times we will keep puppies from litters as show prospects um, or breeding prospects and, you know, let them grow up to see how they do um, mature and what their confirmation is like. And if we were forced to spay and neuter them all at four months, then, um, you know, we would be very limited as to be able to pick out, um, you know, breeding stock that really would improve the breed and really does have great health that we could um, use back into our, our breeding programs. When we talk about responsible breeders, I think that's... we. The public, I'm guessing, is a little bit confused about how do we define that term? I mean, what is a responsible breeder to me may not be the same thing to folks of my mother's generation or to people that aren't really conversant with the show fancy and that type of thing. So please explain for me and for our listeners the definition of a responsible slash professional breeder as opposed to a, quote, backyard breeder or even a puppy mill, as I understand is being discussed this very day on the Oprah show. Right, absolutely. You know, a responsible breeder um, is someone who, you know, has a litter of puppies, what they do before they even have that litter is that they plan ahead. They may own a breeding female. Uh, they look to um, the dog's pedigree. They look to the dog's phenotype, what it looks like. Um, and also, most importantly, they look to the dog's temperament and to the dog's health before they uh, decide to choose a sire for to create a litter. Um, a responsible breeder will do all the necessary health screenings of uh, the sire and the dam of the litter, the parents, to make sure that they are trying to be free of any um, inherited diseases. There are many tests out there that breeders use to make sure that they make the best decisions to create the healthiest puppies out there. Um, afterwards, after the litter is born, then what the responsible breeder does is take great care to screen potential buyers. You know, we sit down with people, we find out what their lifestyle is like, you know, what kind of home are you going to provide for the puppy. Um, in essence, the breeder becomes the mentor for the new puppy buyer. And many times, if this is, say, a first-time dog owner, uh, you know, we engage in this wonderful relationship of uh, mentor mentee and we really teach them what it's like to be a responsible dog owner and the joys that that can bring to them especially uh, with that canine human bond and again like I said earlier the most important thing about the responsible breeder is you know we take great care that if a dog cannot stay in the home that we originally placed it in that we will bring it back you know we are responsible for that dog for the life of the dog and many times in a responsible breeders contract there will be a provision that says should you be unable to keep this dog it must come back to me, and then as the breeder, I will find a new home for it. So, you know, clearly these are the hallmarks of responsible breeders, and, you know, mandatory spay and neuter would just make, um, you know, it impossible for a breeder to uh, do the things that are correct to make it responsible. Right. I know that I feel I am so fortunate to have uh, my breeder lives in the same city and is an AKC certified tracking dog judge, has been in uh, German Shepherd Dogs for 20 plus years, does all of the health screenings, uh, hip dysplasia, elbow dysplasia, panis, I mean all all the, those things uh, and uh, just takes such great care. Just came back from a trip to California. We're in Texas. She went to California, visited the people who own her puppies. I mean, this is an amazing relationship that you can develop with the breeder of uh, a very special dog. And people go back 
to the same people. I mean, you have the lifetime of the dog, um, 10, 15 years, 20 years for some breeds, and then they go back to that same breeder. I think it really speaks well of the whole sport of dogs and the responsible breeders who are giving such a great name to the, the whole industry. Sure. You know, we are like one big family um, among ourselves as responsible breeders, um, those of us who uh, raise, train, and show AKC-registered dogs, but also within our own, um, you know, kennel or breeding program. The, the people I have sold puppy to, puppies to over the last 20-plus years, you know, they, they have become my friends. They're, they're like an extended family. And, uh, you know, we, we trade letters and pictures, and we talk about the dogs and how they've grown up. And, and you're correct. They do come back um, when they are looking for another pet because they had such a great experience, you know, through sort of our friendship, our mentorship of, uh, you know, the dogs and the breeds that we love that, um, you know, it's just, it's a wonderful thing that, um, you know, there are people out there who have made, um, you know, breeding purebred dogs a passion of their life. It, it is, you know, what they do, it's what they're passionate about, and their, and their love for their dogs is, is really equal to none. I think a lot of uh, the, the folks who have a registered dog and decide, oh, well, I'm going to have a litter, and they, they kind of miss the boat on some of this that, you know, it's, it's more than just putting two pretty dogs together and having a litter. So I hope folks will, will take the time to, to go to the, uh, the AKC website and look into this if they're interested in, in acquiring a, um, a purebred dog or even possibly getting into breeding and, and finding a mentorship relationship there. Sure. The best thing to do is would be to go to our website at akc.org and look up the parent club listing for the breed that you're interested in. And then you can contact them and they can help you find breeders in your geographic areas for the breeds that you're interested in. And then, of course, most importantly, you, you do need to sort of research the breed for your lifestyle before you, uh, you know, go down that road, even, even with ownership. Well, I know that also, to get back to our, our, our major topic here, the, the spay-neuter issues, Many of the shelters, uh, from what I understood from Dr. Lila Miller, when I spoke with her in the, in the Northeast, many of these shelters have a limited number of certain types of dogs in the shelters. They've done such a great job with spay-neuter that they're going out of state to find the types of puppies and small dogs that a lot of the, the people are wanting. So to me, it seems like... Maybe they're looking at the wrong numbers there before they're deciding on this, these ordinances, and maybe they need to dig a little deeper before they, they go to that extreme. Sure. You bring up a great point about digging a little deeper. I mean, if you look at the populations that are in shelters, um, they're very diverse. There are dogs. There are cats. Um, and how did they get there? Uh, some have been surrendered by owners for a variety of different reasons, depending on which national list you, you read, whether it's moving or behavioral issues or whatever. But clearly, they've been surrendered their owned dogs and cats. Um, but then you also have strays that may be picked up off the street. And then on top of that, you may have have, say, uh, unowned uh, cats or dogs, such as a feral cat and things like that. So you have this diverse population in the shelter. You have uh, different species, you have owned, you have strays, you have feral, and 
you know, clearly to just take a, you know, a one-size-fits-all approach, mandatory spay and neuter of uh, all cats and dogs at a young age, uh, doesn't really address, you know, the diverse populations that are in the shelter. So clearly, if you can uh, look at a solution for each of those types of populations, that in that way, uh, you know, perhaps that would be a more effective solution to um, the problem. And maybe look at the numbers of uh, each of those categories before saying, hey, we've got a major overpopulation problem. Yes, indeed, we, we do to, to a great degree. But let's look at the numbers. If the, if the largest numbers, and, and I've heard it said that if the largest numbers in your shelter are adult dogs and cats, then you don't have an overpopulation problem. You have a pet ownership problem. Absolutely. I mean, if the largest number of euthanized animals are feral cats, well, those are uh, animals that are unowned by anyone. So having a, you know, a bill that targets uh, owned animals isn't going to create a solution for that. And you also do bring up a good point about um, how shelters, um, when they do run out of animals, are bringing in uh, animals either from within their state and other areas or out of state, or even now there's a uh, movement to bring them in from out of the country. Um, you know, with so many dogs within the country or within the state, uh, you know, you, you'd hope that they would, um, you know, try to adopt out adoptable animals uh, here before they start importing animals from, from other regions. Okay, well, what does the AKC suggest as alternatives then? Uh, you know, we don't, we don't like the idea of being legislated to and, and told that well, you have to do this, you have to do that. What is the AKC recommendation in the face of such things? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, according to the most recent APPMA survey, um, public education is already working. Um, 70% of owned dogs and 84% of owned cats are already spayed and neutered. So the pet owning public is already getting uh, the message. They're embracing the concept that, yes, uh, you know, spaying and neutering of, of your pet animal is a good thing and, and you should do it. Um, so clearly, you know, what we're advocating for is, is more of the same, more public education to those uh, you know, people out there who, who may have a dog for the first time and didn't know that maybe they should get it spayed or neutered. Uh, you know, we have a variety of public education programs um, throughout the year um, that we, um, you know, have the responsible dog ownership message. We help people uh, become that responsible dog owner. We have our responsible dog ownership day events in September. We have other programs that go into the school, such as the Canine Ambassador Program or our Canine Good Citizen Test, where our AKC clubs across the country help people train their animals to have good manners so that they're welcome members of the community. Um, You know, all these things are are out there. They're already working. And, uh, you know, we would be happy to share our resources as a nonprofit organization um, with any local community who, um, you know, wants to really embrace the public education message. I would like to thank you very much, Lisa, for joining us and offering some really important insights into this issue. Uh, We're going to continue our discussion, this time on the cat side of the table, with Joan Miller, right after these messages from our sponsors. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics, right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Greetings, human. What planet am I? 
Jeremiah. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, Candid Pictures of You and Your Pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Ready to take a walk? Not just you, but your whole family. It's the 2008 Whisker Walk, Sunday, June 8th from 9 to 4 at the Lancaster Fairground in Lancaster, Massachusetts. Pet owners and animal lovers walk to lend a paw to benefit the animal shelters and pet charities they love. Come see exhibits, demonstrations, educational programs, special attractions, product giveaways, entertainment, auctions, raffles, food, fun, and things for adults and kids to see, do, and buy, both human and pet-related. Whisker Walk 2008, a fun day for everyone. For more information, log on to whiskerwalk.org. Fasten your seatbelts, put your seatbacks and sleeping pets in their full upright position, and prepare for takeoff. Pet Life Radio presents Travel Tales, the show where you'll get great travel ideas on perfect places for you and your pet. From Paris to paradise, south of the border to the South Seas, Travel Tales will give you cool tips on fun vacation destinations to travel with your pet, pet friendly hotels, and advice on how to travel safely and happily with your furry best friends. So, get ready to pack the bags and the bones with your Travel Tales hosts, Susan Sims and Nicholas Veslowski, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. We're back and speaking this time with Joan Miller, an all-breed judge and the board member of the Cat Fanciers Association. And she's very involved in legislative issues affecting our cats. We are still talking about the mandatory spay-neuter ordinances that are uh, hitting the country, clear across the country now. Welcome to the show, Joan. I appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you, Amy. Glad to be here. Well, before we get started here, let's tell listeners just a little bit about yourself. What pets, what cats, dogs, animals do you have at this time, or have you had? Uh, Actually, I don't own a cat uh, right now, which is really unfortunate. I'm traveling too much, so I don't think I'd be a very good cat owner. Um, I grew up with a dog, but was introduced to cats, um, oh, about 30 years ago, and I've bred Abyssinians for 20 years, showed them, um, and uh, absolutely became entrenched in the whole idea of uh, pedigreed cats and 
got interested in all of the breeds and went on into judging. So you do all an awful lot of traveling. Uh, where where was it you you just got back from? I just got back from Ukraine. So cats are big in the Ukraine as well. Yes, uh, all over the world. It's just amazing when you go into countries on the other side of the world, like China and Ukraine, Russia, and find that uh, the breeds are similar and the people are just as passionate about them as we are here in America. Okay, well, segueing right into our subject here, um, you know, people recognize, particularly in this country, that overpopulation is a killer of pets. And don't all cat lovers, including breeders, want to put a stop to that? So what's the big deal? I'm going to play devil's advocate here. What's the big deal about having a mandatory spay-neuter ordinance and making people do the responsible thing? Well, actually, when it comes to cats, um, we're finding that people are doing the responsible thing. Um, There are many, many studies from around the country that are showing that Cats are being neutered and spayed to a very high percentage. In fact, the latest uh, figures that we've had in California are Santa Clara County, and it's showing about 93% of all pet owners are neutering and spaying their cats. So uh, the reasons why cats are in the shelters is a very complex matter, and it may not always relate to the pet owner responsibility. In fact, when you look at the data... Most of the cats that are in the shelters are unowned. Most of the cats that are euthanized by uh, shelters are because they are free-roaming, unowned, feral cats, and uh, their unweaned offspring. So when we are all concerned about any animals that are killed in shelters, but we feel that the uh, the push for some of the legislation is simplistic. It seems like a quick fix, but it really won't address the problems that are existing, particularly for cats. Okay, so the the, uh, the people that are pushing these, uh, are they perhaps well-meaning politicians, and they, they, they're just missing the boat then? They don't understand? How, do, how does this affect uh, and impact breeders of pedigree cats? Um, it, it does in many ways. Um, Most of the ordinances that we've seen and the state uh, bill that was presented last year in California um, assert that they're going to exempt uh, breeders of pedigreed cats or purebred dogs. But in actuality, it doesn't work that way because there are so many hoops you have to jump through that... Uh, nobody can comply. For instance, what are what are some of those hoops that they, they were requiring? Well, one of the, the easy ones is uh, that, that the cat must be registered with, a, with a, uh, an approved registry. That would be fine for most breeds, but then they say that the cat has to have had proof of being shown. Now, many cats that are extremely valuable in pedigreed uh, breeding programs to provide genetic diversity are not able to be shown. One example would be the the Manx breed, which which is a tailless cat. Those cats that are completely tailless can be shown, but the cats that have what we call the short tails or the stumpy tails or even a fully long tail are extremely valuable for breeding, but they can't be in the show hall. So um, I don't think that many politicians understand the nuances of, of what it takes to really perpetuate a, a breed. 
The Scottish Fold breed is another example of a, a breed where only only a few of the kittens in the litter have the uh, ears that fold down. The others have normal ears. Those are very, very valuable for breeding programs, and they're wonderful as pets, too. But they can't be in the show hall. So that exemption that is claimed to allow pedigreed breeders just doesn't work for, for many people. Also, the cost. Um, in order to deter people from uh, breeding, they often make a license requirement, and uh, Sacramento County is an example of $150 per animal um, per year. Oh, my and, gosh. That's an enormous amount for for anybody that, that has a breeding program. Right. It would be an enormous amount for any, even if someone had a business, they they don't have any taxation in the in Sacramento County that matches that. Uh, there's no no uh, taxation that, that comes even close to it. For the typical breeder, how many cats might a typical breeder have at any one time? And, and certainly not all of those are being bred or being shown. Well, um, that's the other thing. When, when you're breeding to preserve your breed and you, you're really interested in the breed and you're not uh, operating as some sort of a business, then there, you tend to keep some of your favorite cats that have maybe once been a breeding cat and they're, they're neutered and spayed and they're pets, and as well as uh, the cats that are being bred. And you, it depends on whether you have one breed or more than one breed. There's some, some of the breeds require outcrosses to other breeds in order to um, keep the gene pool wide open. The Aussie cat would be an example. They allow an, an outcross to Abyssinians. And um, the um, Scottish Fold breed allows outcrosses to American shorthairs and British shorthairs. So you might have a couple of British shorthairs, a few Scottish Folds. Um, but I, I would say that most hobby breeders would probably have to have about six breeding females and maybe two or three tomcats, and then they, they may have some of their altered pets as well. And, you know, it's amazing how many breeders also take in stray cats, and they often are involved in rescue as well. Because, of, of course, if a placement doesn't work out, many of these folks have it in their contract. You bring that kit and you bring that cat back to me. Well, uh, they do that, or at least they want to be involved in, in rehoming the cat. Um, right. Nobody wants to bring a cat back into their home. It's not easy to do that, but they will help with rehoming the cat, and they definitely want to know the, the, uh, the future of any kitten that is sold. Uh, they want to keep tabs on them. Well, I wanted to ask you also, as I recall in reading some of that ordinance, it said something to the effect that the the kittens or the puppies had to be spayed or neutered by a certain age and isn't that going to preclude whether they could have even at that age been in the show hall that's that's a problem and in the state proposal uh last year they required uh, neutering and spaying by four months and no cat is allowed in a show hall until they are four months they did change that to six months but um that was just really a, a minor a minor change. One of the other questions I wanted to ask you, because I think they were, they're bandying about a lot of terms, responsible versus professional breeder responses, hobby breeder, uh, backyard breeder. There's a lot of these different terms. 
how do you define some of these, and how do you like um, the uh, the cat fanciers who are breeding to be uh, referred to? Hmm, that's uh, that's an interesting question. Um, there are some terms that I I stay away from. For instance, I don't use backyard breeder. I think uh, that there are people that are just getting started that may not be uh, completely familiar with the rights and wrongs of breeding. That's why CFA has started a mentor program, so that when someone does decide that they want to get started, they can have a person that, that they can call all the time that helps them do the right thing. So I, I uh, backyard breeder has often been... Um, the people that have maybe a small number of cats, but they're not really, really working toward uh, perfecting the breed or um, being knowledgeable enough to be responsible about health issues and that sort of thing. I think of either novice breeders or casual breeders. A uh, novice breeder is someone that needs a mentor uh, in order to get really started right. And a casual breeder may be someone that, that is not necessarily showing they're not serious about a breed. They're probably not doing any damage. They may not be in the cat fancy for a long period of time, but they're not really considered to be important in, in their breed, but okay. they are still breeding. So those are terms that I prefer to use. Well, what what is CFA, and this is Cat Fanciers Association, what is CFA's position on the mandatory spay-neuter ordinances, and how is the organization working to to help on behalf of um, the breeders? Well, we are completely opposed to the idea of mandated spay-neuter. We're very supportive of uh, neutering and spaying, and we, we, are, we have been uh, promoting neutering and spaying for many, many years. Um, we're one of the first organizations that started to produce some uh, public service announcements to try to encourage people to neuter and spay. We've also funded uh, studies to determine uh, people's attitudes and find out why they don't neuter and spay, and we've promoted many solutions for that. But we feel that neutering and spaying is ovariohysterectomy and castration. That is surgery. And we feel very strongly that when it comes to any surgical or medical procedures, that this is a matter between the owner with advice from a veterinarian and should not be the mandate of a government uh, agency. And particularly when it's shown to us that other solutions are working much better than uh, the simplistic uh, mandated neuter and spay. For instance, what are those solutions that are working better? Well, I would say um, one example is um, in San Diego, right where I live, they have they uh, initiated a five-year plan that they called the Pet Project. And there was no legislative mandate included in that project. But what they did have is uh, targeting the feral cats, which they realized that was a serious problem in, in the county, as it is in many counties in California. And they uh, started to initiate neuter and spay programs that would, would uh, help people that needed um, low-cost neuter and spay. They had a cooperative arrangement between animal control and the shelter, which is now their adjoining buildings that are on a campus. They started to really involve the, the whole community with rescue, and, and uh, they had the Friends of Animal Control groups. They, they really made it a community project. Uh, the newspapers got involved. 
And the, within about four years, the um, county and city of San Diego had become no-kill. And I think another good example is um, Santa Clara County. Uh, around 10 years ago, or a little bit more than 10 years ago, they did a study that we funded, and it showed where their problems were, and that was in um, the uh, free-roaming unowned cats. And so they started to target those cats with a voucher program, and they made, it, made the uh, spay-neuter vouchers available to anyone who wanted them, irregardless of, of their uh, financial status. And that seemed to work very well, and they reduced their, their numbers in their shelters dramatically over the period of time that that was um, going. So I think that there are things that, that can be done without impacting the breeders of pedigreed cats and purebred dogs. Well, for, for people who are listening and perhaps are not fortunate enough to, to live in a, in a community as progressive as San Diego and some of these have been, what would you suggest? Does, does CFA have any resources? Where can they look to find some of these, um, these programs and patterns and perhaps help to offer to their own cities and let's set up something that's going to be better for the cats and the people that live with them? On the CFA website, cfa.org, uh, there's quite a bit of information. There are, there are many, many articles that would be definitely a start. We also have an e-zine called Fancy Muse, and every issue has some uh, legislative matter that, that we talk about, whether it's limit laws or mandatory neuter spay or um, free-roaming cats. And those articles are, I think, um, one of the ways in which we're trying to bring some solutions to people around the country. Also, CFA has been very active for many years in the National Council on Pet Population Study and Policy. And we really feel strongly that in order to solve a problem, it first has to be defined. And that's what the National Council does. So there, there are websites um, and uh, organizations with, with whom we're working in order to really get to the bottom of these problems and, and not have just a, a quick fix approach that once it's um, uh, over and uh, the hearings stop, then, uh, then the media dies down, uh, everything goes right back to the same. But definitely uh, there is an e- uh, email address on our website for legislative information, and often we get emails and we will personally answer, answer questions from people. We have reports and things that we can send out as well. We do attend meetings and we try to uh, network and interact with people that are interested in, in these problems. Uh, and they, they are complex, and I, I think when it comes to cats that, that people are becoming uh, very aware whenever we ask the questions in any surveys of, of well, what people are concerned about. They are concerned about shelter cats. They do want to do something, but many of them don't know how to do it. They don't know how to trap feral cats, for instance, and they can't find a veterinarian who's willing to even neuter and spay a feral cat once they have it in a trap. So we have to enable people to do the right thing. Well, on that note, we are out of time, but I would very much like to thank Joan Miller of CFA as well as uh, Lisa Peterson of the AKC and the producers for making Pet Peeves possible. 
Now, I dare you listeners out there to join me next week for Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. Email me your suggestions or post a note to my blog by dialing up PetLifeRadio.com and clicking on the Pet Peeves logo. You can get transcripts that way, too. Woofs and purrs until next time. And if you have a pet overpopulation problem in your community, educate yourselves to the ways you can help stem the furry tide in a responsible way that also protects the rights of all dog and cat lovers. Give your furry wonders a pat for me. I don't want them to get peeved. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander is up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Join us each week on Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojai, will talk about what makes you howl and what hisses you off. Pet Peeves, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.